We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. Trevor Lane here. You can follow me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane on Instagram and Facebook at Trevor Lane NBA. Kind of weird. Three day break here for the Lakers, partly due to the Super Bowl. But Lakers don't take on the Jazz until Wednesday, then head off to the All-Star break. So what we're going to do today is break down a number of things. We're going to get a little bit of an injury update. We'll talk about the Maybe strange story involving Magic Johnson and Jeannie Buss and Magic maybe still having a little bit of influence in the organization. We'll talk about that. We're also going to open up the mailbag and take some of your questions and comments. Joining me today is Sean Davis from LakersNation.com. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Trevor. Uh, how are you doing? Hanging man? in there. Hanging in there. It's... um. You know, it's a weird time in the NBA right now. You're starting to see some teams take their foot off the gas pedal as they're looking ahead to the All-Star break. The Lakers, of course, are not in a position where they can do that. But I mention it because as the as we're recording here, the Clippers are blowing out the Warriors, which is not what you want to see. It's not what Lakers fans want to see, period. But in terms of the standings with the Lakers trying to chase down the Clippers, you don't want to see... The Clippers blowing out the Warriors, particularly when the Lakers just lost a heartbreaker to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, not not what Lakers fans were hoping for tonight. Got to hope for a Clippers loss tomorrow night against the Phoenix Suns. Wow, that's a healthy Golden State, too. <laughs> Golden, yeah, they're playing like Clay's playing. Steph has 30. They're down by 20. That's wild. But... Yeah, man. Yeah. Sox. Hopefully the Clippers can lose on no second No Draymond, of course, for the Warriors, but still not what you want to see the Clippers without all of their guys. Yeah. And they're still finding ways to get it done. Lakers somewhat healthy-ish and they, well, couldn't get it done against the Warriors. Although the, the players have been pretty upbeat, even after practice today, we heard some very positive things from both Frank Vogel and Austin Reeves about where the team is right now. Speaking of which injuries where the team is at this moment let's talk a little bit about Carmelo Anthony and Kendrick Nunn Kendrick Nunn just real quick 
He was actually videoed at practice today, taking some jumpers. Again, the Lakers are not expecting him back to the end of March. I know a lot of Lakers fans are skeptical, saying we're not going to see him at all. Because by the end of March, what's the point? <laughs> the season doesn't go that much longer after that. Yeah. But um, that's that's right now the timeline for Kendrick Nunn. We'll see. We've heard the Lakers might be a landing spot for a player like Goran Dragic, uh, Dennis Schroeder, if he gets bought out, which is very much up in the air with the Houston Rockets. We're hearing stuff out of Houston that he's not going to. Uh, DJ Augustine's another player that's out there. The Lakers could go after a point guard on the buyout market. I still think they need a wing, but if they don't believe Kendrick Nunn is going to play at all this season, maybe they pick up another point guard. Uh, but the main guy that we need to talk about, injury update-wise, is Carmelo Anthony. Frank Vogel, while we were talking with him uh, after practice today, said Carmelo Anthony was, at that very moment, getting in a workout, and they were testing out his hamstrings, seeing where they were at, and Vogel made the comment that he felt like the last two losses the Lakers ha had probably would have been wins, or at least he hinted that they probably would have won had Carmelo Anthony played. So, Sean, what do you what do you think about that, losing Carmelo Anthony? How big of a deal is it? Do you think it swings those last two losses, the Warriors and the Blazers, and turns them into wins? I don't know if it swings the Blazers win, although as good as Carmelo Anthony is, I don't know if it sways the Blazers win, because regardless, the Lakers didn't play with enough effort to win that game. Um, but I definitely think Carmelo Anthony plays, they beat the Warriors. They were kind of just daring Stanley Johnson to shoot, and that's where you kind of need a Carmelo Anthony in the lineup because you're not going to dare Carmelo Anthony to shoot threes because he'll happily take those. He's shooting a little under 40% from three this season. And his effect, like, he has the second best, like, on-off. Like, the team is significantly better with him on the floor than off. Ironically, Austin Reeves is number one on that list. Um, <laughs> man, we just can't escape that guy. Um, but yeah, Carmelo Anthony's impact, they're significantly better with him on the floor offensively. They're not as bad defensively with him on the floor. It's just when they run Melo at the five where I pull my hair out. But yeah, they definitely missed him in that Golden State Certainly game. Certainly for the floor spacing, the three-point shooting you mentioned. I'm not trying to run from Austin Reeves at all. Yeah. Give me more minutes for Austin Reeves. I think there's a reason, there's a <laughs> more reason why minutes. his net rating has been so high. I talked all about it on our show yesterday and why Austin Reeves should be a focal point for the Lakers moving forward in terms of just, hey, this is a guy we know that we can plug in. He's going to do the right thing at the right time and we can really have a guy who can play alongside LeBron, AD, whoever else is out there. Uh, but as far as Carmelo Anthony goes, yeah, I mean, look, you hit the nail on the head. Number two on the team in terms of three-point percentage behind only Malik Monk. The Lakers certainly could have used that against the Warriors. Frank Vogel, eh, maybe, maybe they get the win. You never know. You know, a guy, if Carmelo Anthony has an off-shooting night. Definitely not sure. with this Lakers yeah, you team. Just, you never know. But it certainly helps to have a guy like Carmelo Anthony on the floor. So the Lakers are hoping he can come back. But I'm looking at it this way, too. The Lakers have one more game. And then you get over a week off. So if there's any doubt whatsoever heading into this game against the Utah Jazz, that Carmelo Anthony is not 100%. If he's 95%, and given how Don't tricky hamstrings are, I think the safe thing to do for the Lakers and for Carmelo Anthony is just to say, look, we need you out there, but it's a hamstring injury. Hold you out another game, and then really you get another what, two weeks almost off to really fully, completely heal. So it would not surprise me at all if... Even if Carmelo's feeling pretty good, the Lakers just say, eh, let's let's err on the side of caution here against nah. the Jazz. 
Yeah, especially where the stretch out of the All-Star break is really going to be telling if this Lakers team has any hope left because you have the Jazz game and then you have the All-Star break and then you have a stretch of games. By the way, the next five after the All-Star break are somehow all on national TV. I'm surprised they haven't flexed them yet. But you have the Clippers, the Pelicans, Dallas, the Clippers again, and Golden State. Those five games after the All-Star break uh, is really going to be telling because I think those are, for the most part, very winnable games, especially Lakers can play with the same effort that they had against Golden State the last time in the next matchup. Uh, the Clippers are two winnable games. Norman Powell is now potentially done for the year. I know he fractured his foot. New Orleans, I mean, that's winnable. Dallas is winnable. A lot of these games are at home, too. So that stretch, if I'm the Lakers, I'm saying Melo. And then you have San Antonio Houston after that, too, which you should. As you mentioned in the past in the last show, that you have to take care of the bad game, bad teams on your schedule. Um, so you look at this if you're Lakers, and you're like, Melo, this is, we need this win. But we need you for the rest of the season, and this is one game before the All-Star break, so let's give you this extra week and a half or whatever off. You rest up your hamstring, come back, and we have a big seven to eight game stretch after the All-Star break. By the way, this the games right before the All-Star break, they're prone to weirdness because teams have a hard time being locked in. when It's a long season. We're in the dog days of it, and now here you are. It's like It's like kids in school, and you're getting close to spring break, and, and they're, close they're not so focused in class anymore. Let me tell you from experience, right? They start, you know, the behavior starts to slip just a bit. And when I'm looking across the NBA right now, you've got the Clippers beating the Warriors tonight and handily beating them. Uh, looks like they're going to beat them by 15 points. You've got the Thunder beat the Knicks. Okay, the Knicks are not great this season, but still you would expect the Knicks to, to win that one, particularly at home. But the Thunder beat the Knicks. The Blazers blow out the Bucks. Now, Giannis doesn't look like he played yeah. in that one, but still, the Blazers? Maybe maybe Lakers fans could feel a little bit better about losing right, the Blazers just... since they beat since they beat the Bucs. And then the Pelicans beat the Toronto Raptors, who've been really good, by 30. Like, but This is just a wow. crazy, weird night, but you get bizarre stuff like this. And then the Lakers' next opponent, the Utah Jazz, who's been playing a couple of nights, beat the Houston Rockets by 34. I don't know. It's it's pre-All-Star break weirdness across the league. Not saying you wouldn't expect the Jazz to win, but by 34, my goodness. Yeah. And one last thing before we move on, I want to touch on what thing you said about the Austin Reeves thing. I hope you guys, if you guys did watch the film breakdown, go check it out if you haven't already. Like, I hope you take away that, like, stats are, can be deceiving because, I mean, you've said this, we've all said this on the staff in the past that, you look at Austin Reeves, or you look at Alex Caruso last season, they might have three points in 32 minutes, but they're likely going to have the highest plus minus. And when you watch the film, and I tried to highlight it in the breakdown, just a little off-ball things. It's just their high basketball IQ plays. Like, Austin Reeves is a really smart player, and I hope that's kind of what I tried to convey in that breakdown. It absolutely is. Frank Vogel had a quote uh day before yesterday about the great computer that Austin Reeves has, and of course, he's talking about his brain. He was definitely raving about him. Um, we do need to move on, though, and we need to get into a story that I was not expecting to see today. I was not expecting to yeah. see this, but story comes out uh, from Bill Orm of The Athletic, and in this story, uh, he, he was writing about, about Magic Johnson. In this story, he revealed that Magic Johnson 
is still talking with Jeannie Buss, which that's not a surprise. They've known each other for literally decades. Um, but Jeannie Buss had this quote talking about magic, said, to me, he's still working with us. Okay, just that right there. I went, what? Wait, that what? what? Yeah. He's still working with us? She goes on, she says, in terms of an official capacity in the NBA, you have to be very clear as to who can negotiate on your behalf and who can't. So he doesn't have an official designation. But in terms of his support, his wisdom, his insight, I freely call on him as needed. I just sat down with him. And I said, should I be concerned? What are you seeing? And he talked about the injuries that the team hadn't had a chance to be together. So, you know, he's very calm and insightful. And, you know, I appreciate his seeing the big picture instead of reacting to every game. So Jeannie Boss, Magic Johnson, in a huge surprise, what, a couple of years ago now, walked out on the Lakers. Didn't let anybody know. Gave an impromptu press conference, said, uh, actually, I'm out. I'm not yeah, going to be here. I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here. And we were all, I mean, Jaws hit the floor. We were all shocked. And look, Magic Johnson is a Laker legend. He's one of my personal favorites of, of all time. Um, incredible, incredible player. And Jeannie Buzz asking him about basketball on, on the surface. There's nothing wrong with that. Magic Johnson's an incredible, incredible basketball mind. But, but given the way things ended between Magic and the Lakers last time around, and given what's been going on this season, and given what Magic did during his tenure at the helm with the Lakers, I can see where Lakers fans would feel a little bit uneasy about finding out that Jeannie Buss, she's got her brain trust, and she goes to Magic Johnson for him to tell her whether or not she should be concerned about the play of the Lakers this season. I don't, I, I don't know. How do you feel about that, Sean? If Magic, if she went to Magic for, like, advice, should we trade this player, like, do this, like, what should we do roster construction-wise, I would be raising my eyebrow a little bit. But, I mean, like, the way that, like, the quotes are phrased and things like that, I'm not particularly upset with it. Like, it seems like she's asking him, like, just his thoughts on the team. He's a five-time champion as a Laker, three-time finals MVP. So, obviously, Magic knows a lot about basketball, obviously. Um so I think that's fine, asking for his opinion, stuff like that. Now, I would have drawn the line, at, again, if like she had said, um, hey, should we move this player? Like, in terms of like roster construction and stuff like that, I would have drew the line there. But, I mean, she's asking for his opinion. Um, again, like you mentioned, they've had a relationship for decades now. And it does really surprise me. I do think it's interesting, especially the way that Magic infamously left. Um, I do think it's in how like LeBron and some of the other players have reacted to that. Um, but in terms of, like what they've, they've actually like, talked about what she's asked of him, I don't have a really problem with it. I do think it's a little eyebrow raising though, that she went to magic because of how that thing ended. But yeah, not really a problem to me. In a vacuum, it's no big deal. In a vacuum, it's no big deal. It's like, um, I mean, going to magic Johnson and asking him about what he's seeing on the basketball court totally makes sense right that that totally yeah. makes sense it's like um if you're analyzing football and you wanted to go go ask peyton Ma peyton manning hey peyton manning what do you think right what do you think about this you're yeah, probably yeah. going to get some good insight there and not just because of the fantastic manning cast or anything like that but just because the guy's done it right the guy's been on the field mm -hmm. in magic's case he's been on the court he's a guy who's been through a lot over the course of his career 
he probably can see things that maybe some other people don't. So on the surface, yeah, there's no problem with that. But just from the Lakers' perspective, given everything we know about this team, what happens, or this organization, what happens when things start to go bad, or even when they don't go bad? The Lakers tend to circle the wagons and only deal with the people that they already know. Right? That's, that's what we've seen. When it comes time to hire somebody, comes time to hire a coach first it's byron scott okay it's luke walton it's good looking at who's going to run in the front office it's rob palenka it's kobe's former agent they already know him they already know him right it's mm -hmm. it's the rambi curtin linda rambis having a say it's people that they already know that they turn to and sometimes in order to grow you've got to get opinions that go outside of your comfort zone Sometimes you've got to get people in whose skill sets aren't already built into what you've got. You can wind up in an echo chamber and look, I'm not within the Lakers front office. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know what ideas are being pitched there. So I want to be careful here that I don't paint the picture that they're just completely oblivious to any outside opinions or anything like that. But when you just look at their past hires and what they've done and knowing that they're probably going to be looking for a new head coach Sometime in the near future, based on the way this season is gone, the fact that Jeannie is going to Magic to give her more insight into whether or not she should be worried about the state of the team just tells us that we're probably going to see more of the same in terms of the Lakers going to people that they already... I mean, heck, Ty Lue was the guy that they wanted to be their coach right now, and then they couldn't come to terms on a contract agreement. And Ty Lue, guess what? Former Lakers, someone they already knew. Yep. And that doesn't always result and even in bad like, things, but it's just something to kind of file away as we prepare for whatever the next iteration of the Lakers is going to look like. And even Frank Vogel had a very brief stint. Apparently he was a uh, advanced scout for the Lakers in 05 and 06, uh, then with the Wizards in 06 07. So even Frank, even though it was like nothing, like an, as an assistant or as a player or whatever, Frank had a very small experience with the Lakers but still they went to him um and that's why again if they do fire my number one pick to re, uh to hire and it kind of fits with the Lakers let's hire somebody we know just because we know them basically Darvin Ham the Bucks assistant obviously he would have to want the job um because it is a different level of pressure coaching in LA especially with a LeBron James led team but yeah and I, and I think you really really hit the nail on the head there saying it kind of you limit yourself when you don't expand your horizons and you're like scramming yourself in this little box like okay everybody in this or whatever we're only listening to you people and everybody else that's outside this circle who might know a little bit not say a little bit more but like they might know something that could really benefit us we're just gonna ignore them because we're so locked in on everybody's that's, that's in our circle and you definitely limit yourself by doing that we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It doesn't necessarily mean that you end up at the wrong in the wrong place. It doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. you can't be successful that way. You can. And the Lakers have been. They've been successful going this route. I just think it it lessens the margin for error. If you narrow your scope yeah. of who you're going to lean on, of what opinions you're going to hear, you are limiting the possibilities of of getting some fresh new ideas in, getting something that that could change things. Anyway, it's it's again, this isn't like red flag sound the sirens everybody run around the sky is falling no I'm, look this is genie boss turning to magic johnson just asking hey what's what's your opinion of the team right now okay right i don't want to make too much of this but i think it's just another sign that the lakers continue to operate the way the lakers have and that means that you have to already know the lakers in order to gain a position of, of power and we'll see we'll see what that means for the team moving forward. All all Genie had to do was check Magic Johnson's Twitter to know his opinion on the team. <laughs> He's very outspoken about the Lakers. Uh, that's all she had to do. She didn't even have to call. That's a waste of a phone call there. All she had to do was check Magic Johnson's Twitter. Okay, that's my th- that's his thoughts. I don't even have to do anything else. Just turn on just turn on the notifications. Just just turn on those <laughs> yeah. notifications. They'll pop up on your phone. Then then you're all good there. You're all good. All right, I did put out there on my Instagram account that we were going to open the mailbag on this show, that we were going to get into some fan questions and comments. At uh, Trevor Lane NBA is my Instagram account. I'm slowly getting a little bit better at, at Instagram. It's it's such a visual medium in terms of just photos. Video I get, text I get like over on Twitter, but just photos, I'm like, sometimes Instagram is not the easiest thing. I'm like, what is it that I want to really put out a, just a picture of and I know you can do video and stuff on Instagram now too, but in any event, check out my Instagram account at Trevor Lane NBA. There's it's all Lakers stuff that's on there, but I did put out on there that we were going to do a show and we were going to open the mailbag. And so here's some of the questions and comments that we've got, and I think we'll start with this one. Uh, Lil Churros, gotta love usernames, uh, said, "Do you expect a bounce back performance from LeBron against the Jazz?" So there were a lot of Lakers fans who weren't thrilled with LeBron to hit the fourth quarter that he played against the Warriors. It was an uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically, if I can say that word, um, rocky performance from LeBron James in the fourth quarter against the Warriors. He shot, I believe, it was nine for twenty-six from the field. So should we expect a bounce back from LeBron against Utah to close things out before the All Star break? I'm not sure, Trevor. And I was just literally, I swear to you, I was just thinking about this because I'm looking at LeBron's stat line since he's come back. And I remember you mentioned this in our Lakers Nation group text. Like, did anybody notice, like, LeBron, when he tried to block Clay, and I think he tried to block Steph too, maybe, he just didn't have that same bounce. Do we think LeBron might have rushed back from the knee injury? Because I'm, I'm just looking like, yeah, he dropped 30 against Portland. Yeah, he had that 27-point game against the Bucs, and he had 26, 15, and 8. 
But I'm looking at those. I'm like, that wasn't a that wasn't like a LeBron James stamp 30 point game that we've seen throughout the season. That Bucks game was a wash, but like I didn't like you didn't really feel LeBron in that game either. Yeah, he played fine, but it was really down the stretch against the Knicks, really, where he made his impact. And then he said, I think he has some soreness after. So I don't know, man. I'm starting to kind of question, especially now that you kind of like got the thought rolling in my head. Did he kind of rush it back? And now luckily you'll have the All-Star break, but he's playing in the All-Star game. So, But you'll still have a little bit of rest going into the uh, second half of the season. Well, we're already there now. but So I wouldn't. I don't know. I, I'm starting to question if he rushed it back. So I'm not sure, actually. I don't know if it's a rush back or maybe the knee is still bugging him a little bit. That could certainly be. It could also be, hey, he's 37. As an old guy myself, I can tell you there's, 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 there's some days where you wake up and you're feeling good. And you're like, yeah, let's go. And then there's other days where you wake up and you stand up and your legs go, nope, not today. And it could be, it could be LeBron just had an off night. I think given the state the Lakers are in right now and how badly they need to pick up wins, I think we're going to see a bounce back, particularly when we look, okay, he had a few rough turnovers and he missed some shots. That, that's pretty much what we saw out of LeBron. Yeah, there were some moments where he didn't have the, the springs on that particular night. But for the most part this season, for the most part, He's been ridiculously yeah. good. He's been ridiculously good this season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a pass and assume that we do see a bounce back from him against the Utah Jazz. Again, 37 years old. Maybe it was just that. Maybe the knee's bugging him a little bit. By the way, if the knee's bugging him at all, maybe not play in the in the All Star game or just play the first few minutes and then say, hey, Monty, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go have a seat over here and uh, I'm gonna stay here. I'm not gonna play anymore. Pull Steph. Pull Steph, get a popcorn, just relax. I do also think, I mean, what they've had, they'll they'll have Sunday through Tuesday, so over 72 hours to get ready for the Jazz game. So I do think that will help. And then, like, from Milwaukee to go uh, to Portland, that's a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they had a couple nights for that Golden State game. But you have another three uh, three nights in a row. Uh, then going into the All-Star break in a must-win game, I, I am a little optimistic, but, you know, you got the thought rolling in my head, so I am a little uh worried about that just a little bit all right i've got another question coming in here uh heriberto fimbers said do you think russ could adapt much better next season so let's pretend for the moment that we are living in a world in a reality branch reality or whatever we want to call it sorry i've got that dr strange uh yes that was video awesome. on my on my mind here um if we're living in a world next year, next season, where Russell Westbrook is still a Laker. A trade didn't materialize in the offseason. I think the Lakers are going to do everything they can to trade him this offseason. But let's say a trade doesn't materialize or Russ looks really good down the stretch and they're talked into keeping him around. Could he actually adapt better next season? Could the growing pains in terms of Russ adapting to the Lakers, the Lakers finding a fit for him, assume maybe a new coach at the helm next season, could we see a better version or a better fitting version of Russ next season? Man, Trevor, you disappointed me. I was about to pull up the uh, Magic Josh and Magic Johnson gif of I'm not going to be here <laughs> um, next year. because I, I don't think he's back. But in the branch reality where Russell Westbrook is back, I do think so. I think having another year um, with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and I hope that what we saw in that Golden State game from Russ – which, by the way, played really good. He had a couple of plays where you're like uh, missed assignments defensively and just blown coverages 
Uh, but I thought for the most part, I played really well. And I like the way they used him. They used him a lot more of a, as an off-ball screener. Um, he had some plays where he could just go 100 miles per hour like he would normally do. But for the most part, he was uh, very patient, didn't really turn the ball over. And that's what you want from your point guard, especially with LeBron James on the team. Um, I thought Frank put him in positions to succeed. Um, so I do think that, and I do think with another year with LeBron and AD uh, could definitely help that. But again, I don't think he's back in the offseason. I don't think him or Frank Vogel is back next season. If if Russ was younger, it would just be an automatic yes, right? If Russ was 26 yeah, sure. and next season going to be 27, we would say, well, of course, because when players get time together, they tend to improve. They tend to learn, you know, they learn each other's tendencies. They um, they figure each other out. And so you would assume there would be growth there. So my hesita- my hesitation here is what, he'll be 34 next year? Perhaps father time kind of limits him even further. That's something to be concerned about. I wouldn't expect Russell Westbrook to next season suddenly be worth $47 million in terms of production on the floor. Yeah, not that. No, no. That, that's not going to happen. It's it's it- possible. It's possible that he's a better fit next season than this year. But the the problem is, what's Russ going to be? What is he going to be? Because if you look around the NBA, you look at the guys who were stars and that star starts to fade a little bit. A lot of the times it takes developing other parts of their game to get to the point where they can still be a useful contributor and still be a positive on the floor. Like you look at even just on the Lakers, look at Dwight Howard. And and look, Dwight Howard hasn't played a ton this year, but he basically decided, okay, if I'm going to be in this league, I have to focus on doing the dirty work, rebounding, blocking shots, protecting the rim. I'm not going to get those post-up opportunities anymore. Teams aren't going to give those to me, and I have to be okay with it. I have to be okay with this kind of role. Carmelo Anthony, okay, I'm going to be a spot-up shooter. The offense isn't going to run through me anymore. I've got to figure out a way to adjust and be okay with this. I don't know how Russell Westbrook's game adjusts. And on paper, what we've been saying from day one is Russ, given his skill set, can, is a tough fit with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. The question for the Lakers has always been, can talent negate the fit concerns? So far, the answer to that has been no this season for the most part, though, as you mentioned, Russ was very good against Golden State, he even got uh, the 360 award that night. So I, I'm i not optimistic that Russ is going to look significantly better. Can you get through some of the the rough periods at the beginning of the season, the speed bumps that we saw this year, could those be potentially smoothed out next season if Russ is still a Laker? Sure, but I don't think that necessarily changes the skill set concerns in terms of pairing him with LeBron, with AD. That gamble just didn't pay off this year. I can't see that changing next year. And like you said, I think he winds up getting moved this offseason as an expiring contract. And we're going to get into what the Lakers will be looking for in just a minute. Yeah, um, for as far as the rest of this season goes, again, I hope that we see him pl- have that role that we saw him against Golden State. Um, I, I, again, I think Frank did a really good job putting him in positions to succeed. I like him a lot as a screener and actually like setting the screen and rolling towards the basket. Um, yeah, I, I liked what Frank did with Russ offensively. And, and I mean... Russ as an on-ball defender isn't that bad, but it's just the off-ball stuff. So if Russ can maybe clean up some of that stuff and just lock in, um, I think Russ could be better. And he played well against Golden State, but he's not going to be worth $47 million. And quite frankly, there's maybe like eight players in the league anyway that are worth $47 million. 
Oh, uh, Jonathan Kaminga was super happy when Russ was his defender off the ball. He got some, he got some <laughs> oh clear gosh. runs to the rim on that. Uh, Haikon Nguyen said, could you talk about how the team can upgrade the roster in the offseason if we can trade Russ away? So here's the thing with that, with that scenario is what does the Russ trade look like? Right. What exactly yeah. is that? Do you is somehow and I, I don't think this is going to happen, but do you find a team that's going to eat the bulk of that salary? And then the Lakers suddenly have maybe a little bit more flexibility. We're probably not talking about cap space, but a little bit more flexibility to go do something. What is it they're getting back? Are you at that point? Let's say in the offseason, maybe the Rockets say, OK, a second rounder and John Wall for Russ, since they're both expiring now uh, or a second rounder and Russ for John Wall. I mean, flip that. Maybe that's something you do. Maybe there's some other options out there. You're attaching that 2027 first. The 2029 first becomes available then this offseason. Maybe Taylor Horton Tucker finishes stronger and you can put him into a bigger deal. Teams have a little bit more flexibility to take on more contracts too. Is it a deal where you're getting one guy back? Are you getting four guys back because you're splitting up that salary amongst a bunch of role players? That's going to... I would do that actually. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. But that's going to determine what the Lakers can do is exactly what does this deal look like? And there's so many different possibilities that it's hard to say, Oh, okay. If the Lakers just trade Russ, then they can do this, this, and this, and this is going to make the team better in these ways because there's a lot of different scenarios with the Russell Westbrook trade. So it's tough to predict. I do think they're going to try to explore all of their options there. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see exactly how things go. I think they're going to try to get flexibility. I think some of that flexibility needs to be to retain Malik Monk if they can. But yep. cap room is going to be really tough to come by. So we'll see what the Lakers can do here with Russ. I think that whatever you do, I think trading Russell Westbrook, ideally you want to make it to where, you, like you mentioned, you have a shot to retain Malik Monk. The most I think they could offer him right now in the offseason is like the taxpayer middle level, which is, I believe, $6 million in the offseason. And Malik Monk is at least, like, he's going to get more than that. Um, so I think you have to do something to try to clear up a little bit of money to try to, you know, because the full middle level, the non-taxpayer, that's 11, correct? Uh, the, yeah, the full middle level is going to be somewhere around that $11 million. I'd have to look. With the, with the cap going up, yeah, it's probably going to be right around 11-ish. Yeah, so... I think I do whatever it, it, it yeah. You have to do whatever it takes to try to bring Malik Monk back. I think the guys that go in the next season that are back, LeBron, AD, I think you bring back Stanley Johnson. I think we bring Austin Reeves, obviously. Um, maybe you move THT in the package. Who knows? Kendrick Nunn, who knows? I think he definitely picks up his player option, though. Um, which, by the way, assuming we do get to this at some point. If the Lakers get a buyout point guard, that probably means Kendrick Nunn is not coming back this season. Um, yeah. So, Russell Westbrook trade, that's definitely going to be interesting in the offseason. I definitely think he's he's gone in the offseason. But I think whatever they do, they're going to try to create flexibility to bring back Malik Monk because they've seen how valuable he's been for this team. And then everything else, make it a decent roster that actually fits the coach's scheme, please. That's all I ask. This has been, this has been, I mean, when we, when we look at what's going on here with the Lakers for the closing stretch, I've seen a lot of people that say, who cares? Season's over. I'm not paying attention. I'm not watching this. Okay. Look, I, I get it. It's been a very difficult season. Very difficult. Very frustrating. Probably the most frustrating that we've had in quite a while. Going back to say 2012. It's been that level of, of frustrating this season, maybe even beyond that. 
Um, but this matters. This matters, and it's because of what we're talking about right now. What does Stanley Johnson give you the rest of the year? I would imagine you probably are picking up his option regardless. He's a, you need cheap players when you are a team that's got such a top-heavy roster with three guys on max salaries, even if it's just two guys. You still need you still need guys that are going to give you production on small contracts. Austin Reeves, obviously, you're picking up that $1.5 million for next season. But Taylor Horton Tucker, what does he do for the rest of the season? And what does that mean for you on the trade market? THT, we've seen a little spark from him recently. Is he finally able to sustain that? If he is, that might change what you're looking at in trade over the offseason. Or maybe you decide, you know what, he's really starting to click. We're just going to hang on to him, and we're going to try to do some things around him in this way. Um, what Malik Monk does for the rest of the season, that's going to impact his market. Remember, there was a point last season, I believe it was in March, when we were looking at Montrez Harrell saying, Trez is too good. Trez is too good. There's no way he's playing for $10 million this this next coming season. Somebody's going to give him more. And then things fell to pieces. And next thing you know, he's picking up his player option. We just don't know. These things aren't set in stone just yet. Let's see how some of these guys play the rest of the way because that's going to determine a lot of what the Lakers can do this offseason. So there's a lot of variables out there. Of course, we're going to be breaking everything down. And then when we get to the offseason, we'll go through all the cap space and all that kind of stuff. But the Lakers are going to have a number of different possibilities this offseason. But exactly what those are, those aren't going to become apparent until we know how they finish out this season. That's going to be a major factor. All right, let me get into our final question here. Zirana said, what's our best closing lineup, assuming everyone's playing well? So, your death lineup, if you will. By the way, it's crazy. It's crazy that here we are. We are at the All-Star break where we're well past the halfway point. And there's still an argument to be made about who the Lakers starting five should be. We've been literally talking about that since August. And who the Lakers should be using to close lineups. Most teams by this point, they know this is our starting five if everybody's healthy. These are the guys we use to close games. The Lakers, that has not been the case. But in any event, Sean, what what do you think is the Lakers' best closing five? I think LeBron and AD is in the regardless. Um, I'm tempted to put Austin Reeves in there. I'm tempted. I think yeah, Malik Monk, Austin. So Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, Melo, Braun, AD. Mm. I w- I was tempted Stanley Johnson, but I mean I think we kind of saw it. And we've seen it recently. Teams are gonna dare Stanley to shoot, and Austin's just not as reliable of a shooter yet. He can knock it down, but I mean if you look at the scouting report, you see 33 percent from three. For the opposing coach, you're gonna say just close out with a hand. Although, I mean, he, he'll hit it wide open, but if you just close out with the hand, he might not. He's probably not going to make that. So I think you need another guy on the floor that can shoot, like, that's a lethal shooter like Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk, uh, that can kind of settle that out. Because Anthony Davis's three-point shot has abandoned him, and then LeBron's three-pointer is a little hit or miss. But, Trevor, really quickly before you give yours, <laughs> we've talked, as you said, we kind of talked about how the Lakers, we've been talking about what their best clue closing lineup is uh all season long if you had to guess what would you think what would you say is the uh most minutes commu- uh, a lineup has played for the lakers what would you, what, what would be your total, guess total number, number of minutes yeah 
Oh gosh, it's for so, like it's the leading lineup, ridiculously low. It's got to be like like a hundred minutes or something like that, which is crazy at this point in the season. It's lower, lower. than hundred. What is it like seventy? <laughs> lower is seventy-seven. Ah. Uh, just just for just for like food for thought, Golden State, and they haven't even been healthy. I, I, let me use another team. Uh, so let's see, like Phoenix, Phoenix for example, the best team in the West. They're only good grief. <laughs> Phoenix has three lineups over a hundred minutes. Their leading lineup is at 588 minutes. That's their starting lineup. That's That sounds about right. That sounds about right. The Lakers have had so many players shuffling in and out of the lineup this season. And, and that's something you can look at. You could say, look, they haven't had that consistency. Still, though, we've been saying for a while, regardless of the players shuffling in and out of the lineup, they should have been better than what we've seen this season. Right? They should have. But in any event, my closing lineup, very similar to yours, LeBron, AD, Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, those four are in. And then whether it's Russ, whether it's Melo, that's where it's matchup dependent for me. If Russ is having a really good game, like it was against Go- like it was against Golden State, I can see putting him in there. Carmelo Anthony, that's another guy you can put in. If you really need to stop defensively, you need another big, strong wing. Stanley Johnson's a guy that you can plug in. You've got a few options there that you can turn to. But I think the clear four, Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, LeBron, and, uh, and of course, Anthony Davis. And then that fifth guy is the, the variable in there, depending on the specific matchup, how they're playing, the hot hand, that sort of thing. So that's that's the way I would approach it. Um, I, I'm assuming most fans would agree that you're not putting in certain players. Maybe yeah, <laughs> <Avery> Bradley. <laughs> probably not going to be in there. There is another name that now I think about it and the way they've used him recently, especially with lineups without Russ on the floor, I wouldn't mind THT and yep. in, in spe- specifically in my lineup where it's Monk, Austin Reeves, maybe THT, Braun, AD, because they've used Taylor Horn Tucker a lot as a secondary ball handler facilitator that can really create out of a pick and roll with AD or, or LeBron, honestly. I wouldn't mind that either, especially the way he shot the ball from three yeah, recently. Yeah, he's having a good game, this is where I kind of gave myself some leeway with the hot hand thing. If he's having a strong game, you could yeah. potentially close with him, which is what the Lakers did. I don't remember who it was the that exact four around him, though, but it was what the Lakers did when they benched Russ against the Knicks in overtime was they went to THT. By the way, I want to mention something here about Austin Reeves because this was brought up to me. 33% might be misleading. This might be misleading. And this is because of something that... I wish the NBA would take this out. It's the heaves, right? The the half court shots when the oh, clock is winding okay. down. I wish it was just they just don't just don't count it. Just don't count it again because we've got players in the NBA who take we see it all the time. They take the extra dribble to save their field goal percentage and make sure that they throw the shot after the buzzer sounds. Right? A lot of guys do that. Austin Reeves doesn't. Austin Reeves takes the shot. So if you remove those, those misses from his three-point percentage, what is he actually, he's probably shooting like 35-ish percent, which is right about league average from three. So when we look at him. Yeah, on yeah, catch and shoot shots, he's shooting just under 36%. This is per synergy, which is where I get my film from. Uh, yeah, he's shooting just under 36% on catch and shoot shots in the half court. So that stat that 33 percent and again some other players have launched a few heaves and things but he's a guy who consistently does it so i do think that he's a bit better of a three-point shooter than what that we hear 33 percent and we go ooh, because basically anything above 35 we think great 
great. That's what you want. Anything below 35, we go, oh, well, defenses aren't going to really, you know, get out there on this guy. Uh, 33%, that is a little bit misleading because of those half-court heaves at the buzzer with, you know, the clock winding down or the quarter or halftime or whatever's coming up. So something to consider with Austin's uh, shooting. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. And yeah, I mean, if that if the number is really around like 35, 36%, I mean, again, on spot up shots, it's like 35.5%. And then again, on catch and shoot shots, it's 36, roughly percent. Um, so yeah, if it's that, then you're definitely, uh, it's a defense. You're like, okay, we got to really close out on them a little bit harder. And that opens some things up for you offensively. It's actually kind of what I showed him on the clips. I think Jordan Poole closed out. Um, and he just attacked it. No, it wasn't Jordan Poole. He was in the corner. He attacked and he got the floater um, on the one more pass actually from Stanley Johnson. So, yeah, actually, that's a great point by you. And, yeah, that 36% is a lot better than 33%. Yep. All right, everybody. We'll wrap things up here. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another show as we get ready to take on the Utah Jazz. But if you're listening to this in the podcast format, it's here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Make sure you do follow us on those platforms. We do appreciate the reviews, too. I got a great review just recently that I was reading and just made my day. It was so complimentary of our show and the work that we put in and everything was great. We do go through and read them. So if you're listening to us, the podcast version, make sure that you do subscribe or follow us, whatever the platform is. And then if you're over on Apple Podcasts, give us, give us that five-star review. We'd certainly appreciate it. If you're on YouTube, make sure you do subscribe to the LakersNation.com YouTube channel. And don't forget to turn on notifications as well. Till next time, everybody. Stay safe and see ya.